This episode, episode 52, which I'm calling Awakening, will be the last in the Quest uh, podcast series. I may wind up responding to several frequently asked questions, but for now, I'll make no commitment in that regard. So this episode is meant to be my last in the Quest series. I think that I've pretty much done what I set out to do. First, to state with both a certain degree of simplicity and seriousness, a reason for the hope within me, as the Apostle put it in 1 Peter 3.15. And then second, to make that not only available, but easily accessible as a study in Christian thought and practice for those beginning, contemplating, or who are already on Christian pilgrimage. On that quest for wisdom, for meaning, for love, which is nothing less than the quest for God. This second aim has resulted in 52 episodes of roughly 20 minutes each week for a year, so that with just a brief listening each week, an individual or a group can absorb a good deal of Christian thought as it has been understood and practiced by most Christians in most places and in most periods of history. In his classic on Walden Pond, Henry David Thoreau observed, Millions are awake enough for physical labor, but only one in a million is awake enough for effective intellectual exertion, and only one in a hundred million to a poetic or divine life. Thoreau said to be awake is to be alive. Morning, he said, is when I am awake and there is a dawn in me. Most of the people you see walking on the street are asleep. They have jobs and careers, sometimes highly successful ones. They have families and friends, and they work and play, but they are asleep. But there is another level on which we can live, the interior or spiritual level, where we are concerned with not only the things we do, but with doing them consciously, aware of the spiritual dimensions, uh, aware of the spiritual reality that permeates even what seems like entirely mundane uh, uh, events and activities. There are numerous Bible passages urging us to be alert, to be aware, attentive of this deeper spiritual quality or dimension of reality. Here are two. The first is 1 Isaiah 52.1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. The second is 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 6. For you, Christians, for you are all children of light and children of the day. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake. To be awake is to be present. It is to feel at one with God, that 
divine, sublime power and presence that infuses all things, that inhabits all things, amoebas and whales, tiny glistening grains of wheat and sand and immense shining galaxies and the human heart. To be awake is to be present. It is to be present to the mysterious, personal, and profoundly uh, and profound presence of God. And the practice of presence is simply the practice of being. I use wakefulness, presence, and being all somewhat synonymously. To simply be means that there's no uh, frenetic mental activity going on. We are simply who we are, what we are. Nor is there any compulsion to prove something about ourselves. But then neither is there necessarily the absence of any activity. It's just simply being. And simply being is allowing answers, decisions, words, and actions to emerge naturally, so that nothing is forced, nothing is coerced. It is not doing anything, nor is it not doing anything. It is doing without doing. It is doing without getting caught up in meddlesome, aggressive, adversarial, or egotistical effort. Uncomplicated being carries with it feelings of freedom, of courage, of joy, of home. D.H. Lawrence's poem, Pax, put it well. All that matters is to be at one with the living God, to be a creature in the house of the God of life, like a cat asleep on a chair, at peace, in peace, and at one with the master of the house, with the mistress at home, at home in the house of the living, sleeping on the hearth and yawning before the fire. Sleeping on the hearth of the living world, yawning at home before the fire of life, feeling the presence of the living God like a great reassurance, a deep calm in the heart, a presence as of the master sitting at the board in his own and greater being, in the house of life. I don't know whether that is Zen or like. I suppose a Zen master would have to answer that question. What I do know is that it is very Christian. Consider Psalm 27.4. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. When thou didst say, Seek my face, my heart said to thee, Thy face, O Lord, I will seek. Or Jeremiah 9:23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, and let not the mighty boast in their might. And let not the rich boast in their riches, but let those who boast boast in this, that they know and understand me. 
or John 15, 4, and 5. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you, Jesus says there. I am the vine, and you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relationship intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Or consider Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Judaism and Christianity are inherently mystical, not in some bizarre, paranormal, weird sense, but mystical in that they both are experiences of the numinous, of encounters with the mysterious presence of God. Mysticism, or the mystical experience, has been described in many different ways. Mystics themselves have referred to their uh, first-hand encounters with God as a kind of union or a being at one with God, with humanity, with uh, creation. They have spoken of it as an intuitive knowing or thinking without thinking, as communion, as seeing God, and sometimes even as meeting or being wooed by a lover. They often use the image of being born again, but they use it in its deeper, richer, and more uh, spiritually radical sense than uh, merely as a pious catchphrase or code word for self-identification as uh, an evangelical. Mystical experiences themselves have frequently been described as encountering a loving light of being enveloped in love or the experience of a gracious and generous presence, of being enfolded in that presence. Here are two fairly ordinary experiences collected by the Religious Experience Research Institute. I, I think at Oxford. Actually, it moves around and is at, uh, located at different uh, British universities. I heard nothing, yet it was as if I were surrounded by golden light, and as if I only had to reach out my hand to touch God himself, who was surrounding me with compassion. The second one, it seemed to me that in some way I was extending into my surroundings and becoming one with them. At the same time, I felt a sense of lightness, exhilaration, and power, as if I were beginning to understand the true meaning of the whole universe. Now, both of these people are trying to express something that is ineffable and profoundly mysterious. Nevertheless, they give us some of the flavor of many mystical experiences. Alcoholics Anonymous talks about living in conscious contact with God, and that is also a description of the mystical life.
There are, of course, numerous academic descriptions, but what really counts is growth in love for God, growth in love for others. St. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the great Christian mystics, bishops, and theologians of the 4th century, described Christian spirituality uh, in terms of constant progress, uh, epictasis, uh, a progress in sacred love. The idea, he pointed out, in Greek Platonic philosophy was that of some unchanging stability in perfection uh, or as perfection. But Gregory said that Christian perfection is best represented not by the person who reaches some never-changing state or by returning to the idyllic and unchanging Garden of Eden, even metaphorically, but rather by making unending progress and becoming like God, loving like God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Maker, Lover, Friend. When I began this series of reflection, it was my intention to put them into um, a series of 52, as I said at the beginning, for the 52 weeks of the year. So that by listening to one brief podcast a week, perhaps while doing the dishes or laundry at home or in a small study group or while driving in a car, it would be possible to at least begin a serious exploration of the quest for God, of Christian spirituality. And so I end this series here uh, with uh, 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 a um, suggestion that uh, to pursue this further, you might read my book, A Grammar of Holy Mystery, uh, particularly the second part of it, and um, uh, or uh, a grammar of holy mystery, I guess, in its entirety, and and at least the second part of my book, the Annunciation, which looks at apologetics from contemporary a contemporary perspective. But but now I have a I have a question for anyone listening. Uh, it comes from the poet Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver uh, has a, a wonderful poem. In her book, uh, New and Selected Poems, published in 1992. Uh, I, I, I would really suggest you read all of her poetry. It, but this poem is a prayer about prayer. It is a, it is a, a poem about mystery about prayer as mystery, about wonder and uh, simple beauty. It's, it's a simple poem, uh, which yet asks a deep primordial question that I want to leave you with. Who made the world? It begins. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper, the, this grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, 
who's gazing around with her enormous, complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Peace and everything good to you, my friends.